When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, we're back at the State Fair. Zolgad, Manny Hill, Jonathan Harrison uh, back in studio producing, and not just producing, but producing content as well, including three very, very important questions that come every day on this show right around the noon hour. Jonathan, what do you got for us? All right, so let's start here. You guys were talking about quarterbacks and mediocre quarterbacks and kind of who's at the bottom of that list there earlier. Uh, So the Vikings quarterback situation for the 2018 18 season. These are your quarterbacks. What are the expectations and are the res- what are the results? Okay. What's the expectations if Joe Flacco is the quarterback instead of Kirk Cousins? My expectation is lower. Yeah. Much lower. I mean, my my opinion of Joe Flacco in the last what, Manny, 3-4 years has definitely dipped and changed quite a bit. He has declined. If you mm-hmm. went out and got Joe Flacco and made him the quarterback of this team, my expectation would be 8 8 9 wins. I'm putting I'm putting Cousins on 10 or 11. So I'm not saying it would be drastically different, mm-hmm. uh, but it would not be it would not be quite as high. I think if you are a team that signs Joe Flacco in free agency, that means that you have just drafted a young quarterback and Joe Flacco <laughs> is the bridge guy to the next guy yeah. who you think might not be ready yet. And, oh, wait, that happens to be the situation in Baltimore. I was right going to say the Ravens Lamar just Jackson. did that. Exactly. Yeah, so I, Flacco is just not – you know, and I've never really thought he was all that good. He was great on that run to the Super Bowl. Yes. He was fantastic. He really was. Yes. Um, and whenever, really, whenever the Ravens made the playoffs in his first few years in the league leading up to that Super Bowl run, he was pretty good in the playoffs for them. He won some games for them. But overall, he's always been sort of middle of the pack for me at, mm-hmm. at his best. He's always been middle of the pack. So, yeah, if you have him right now, I mean, you're, you're essentially having him just say, hey, hold on to the reins here until we go to this young guy next year or later on this season when you finally fall off the cliff. Right. All right, so what are the expectations if – Eli Manning is your quarterback for this season. Manning? Go ahead. I think, well, I, I, I think obviously the Giants have the expectation that he's going to be pretty good and that they're going to be a playoff team this year because they went and drafted Saquon Barkley instead of a young quarterback, which is what everybody thought that they were going to do. They thought it was going to be Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield or somebody like that. If that guy was available. Um, so I, I think by default, I think the expectations for Eli have to be pretty high this year because – they, they drafted Barkley with the idea that they're going to try and contend for a playoff spot this year, and they think Eli still has some left in the tank. I mean, so for me, I, I think 
I think you're expecting Eli to be to be pretty good and to lead you to a playoff spot. What's your uh, if you put him though as quarterback of the Vikings? The Vikings. What's your expectation on wins? Because I would once again say eight or nine. Probably, yeah, I'd probably lean eight or nine. It would be, it would be more than Flacco because I, th- I think he's better than Flacco. But I I'm would, about the same at this yeah, point. I, I would think them. I would think high end probably ten wins. Okay. Low yep. end if things go poorly, yep. you know, you can still probably find a way to win seven or eight games. So we'll Next finish. Game? We'll finish up here. Yep. Philip Rivers. What are your expectations if he was your Vikings quarterback for 2018? Everything else Ooh. is still the same about the Vikings, but the quarterback is different. I like him a lot. I love Philip Rivers, and he is. Royce hates him, but I love Philip Rivers. I don't, I don't know. He's overrated. He's overrated. He's not yeah, that good. I think I, I love Philip Rivers. I honestly think if you put him in place of Cousins, it's about the same in my expectation. Mm-hmm. I would say, I would say that if you made Philip Rivers the quarterback of this team tomorrow and he knew your system, I put him on 10, 11 wins, which is this schedule is incredibly tough. Yeah. yeah. So so if I'm factoring in a schedule and just saying a quarterback change, I think Rivers probably through a different skill set, but I think he could largely do the same win-wise that I would be expecting or am expecting from Kirk Cousins. And I think with Philip Rivers in fairness to him too is up until now, I mean the Chargers for the last 5 6 years have just not been that good at all and they haven't really surrounded him with a whole lot of talent really ever since LaDainian Tomlinson left. And, you know, and Antonio Gates was kind of hanging on, but he was kind of a shell of himself. <laughs> yeah, he um, so He I, hung I mean, on a lot. And, and I think if you look at the numbers, Rivers has put up good numbers. He's thrown for a lot of yards. I think he has every, if, if not every, he's pretty close to having just about every Chargers career franchise passing record mm-hmm. over Dan Fouts at this point. So, I mean, he's he's still good to me, and, and I would think with the Chargers, with the expectations that they have in that division, which is, I think, with Alex Smith leaving Kansas City, I think that division is wide open right now. Um, so I I think if, if you if you have Phillip Rivers and you plug him into this Vikings team, I think they can win 10, 11 games, just as much as they would with Cousins, I think. Question two. Question two. The Giants signed Odell Beckham Jr. to a new monster deal yesterday. That's not the story I'm going with here. ESPN's Seth Wickersham had a piece on Odell, and in it he notes that when the trade rumors were circulating this spring regarding Odell Beckham, an interested team hired a private investigator who ended up finding nothing that set off alarms. Now, this probably happens more than we imagine. Uh, so the question, guys, here is, if 1500 hired a private investigator to look into you with where we're going forward, what would they find out about you? They just find me at Bunnies. I'm, I'm more than willing to. I'm more than willing to tell them I'll be at Bunnies. That would be a royal waste of their money. They'd find out. They'd they'd be like, yeah, he's as boring as we thought he was. His Saturday nights, man. But he can watch a lot of hockey. They would probably find out that I love playing video games more than people may realize. Um, what about Madden, yeah. Manny? I don't know. Are you a uh, what? What's all the rage now? The baseball players play is Fortnite. Uh, Fortnite, no. Fortnite, no. See, I play a lot of sports games. Though. Okay, I don't same. Really play a whole lot of the, the only NBA like non- games. Oh yes, two K. See, you and Collar. Two K definitely are the yes. same person in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I play a lot of sports games. Madden. This is the first year that I will not purchase Madden. Why? Because yep. it's just not good. I've heard that it's just not a good game. Really? It hasn't oh, been yeah. good for a couple years. Okay, so. what makes it, it? I'm. I'm. I have no idea. Like what this game's about now? Oh, How much time it, do we have? Here? What Manny, Manny, well, give me, give me the bullet points. We're four hours tomorrow. We may be able to touch on this. Give me the bullet points of what makes Madden not good. 
We're about to well, do a full breakdown of why Madden isn't good. Let's well, go, Manny. Here, here's, here's, the, here's the issue I think that Madden has had for the last probably five or six years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been some decent years where the games have been okay, but I think what has happened is EA Sports has exclusive rights to NFL games now. So there's no competition. So they're at a point now where they don't have to really go all out to improve the game or make drastic changes to the game because they're the only they're the only Okay. They're the only ones who can so make there's no, the only guys in town. There's who no have competition the for right. them to have to improve their game. Okay, that, whereas, that makes sense. Whereas with the NBA, you have 2K Sports that makes a game every year, mm-hmm. and you have EA Sports who makes a game every year, and mm-hmm. those two are competing with each other. So every year, those games are trying to up the ante every year because they want makes they perf- have competition. Okay. So, so this is lack of a competition problem, yes. yeah. and you get lazy. Yeah, okay. exactly. Gotcha. So it, it, I mean, Madden 19, and I haven't played it yet, but people that I know that have played it have just said that it's not good and that it's I think basically it's just the EA. same game. I think it's just EA being lazy because baseball, there's only one game in town, but that gets better every year. Yes, MLB Whereas Madden is very, just, very is just, uh, it's just blah true. every year. Yeah. All right, your third question, third question. Jonathan. Yep. All right, so the Gophers take on New Mexico State uh, this Thursday in a couple days here. New Mexico State stats from their beatdown at the hands of Wyoming. I've got a couple of their stats. PJ said they're tough, so I don't know <laughs> what you're talking. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if they're tough. I mean, they had negative nine rushing yards. They gave up you 312 rushing yards. You don't understand football. I guess Harrison. I don't understand football. <laughs> I'll take that one. So, do we see either offense score over 20 points on Thursday or 20 points in general? Uh I think the golfers do. You think they get yeah, the yeah. This is still a Big Ten team. I mean, they're not very good. I get that, mm-hmm. and and I do think I believe um, not conference game two is against Fresno State, which I'm predicting that the Gophers will lose that game. Okay, but no, I think against this clown show. I watched a little bit of the game on Saturday. I mean, it was really bad football. Yeah, uh, I think the Gophers score 35 or something like that. I think you and I and Jonathan could go and start to play <laughs> and probably score three <laughs> touchdowns, and that's with me. So. Yeah, I think they score about 35. It's so hard to tell. They might cover the spread. Because well, do you remember the last time New Mexico State was here? That was Jerry Kill's first seizure in 2011. Yeah, the seizure. I, covered I, was, that game. I was at that game. Yeah, and I can remember when, I covered when, it. when the seizure happened, you could hear a pin drop. It's oh, like, it was awful. Well, I thought he had a heart attack and was dying. So yeah. that was but, like how much I knew. But you remember the week before. That was the second game of the season. Yeah. The week before... Remember they played USC. out. They went out to USC and played that tough game, and they kept that game really. You're close making me rethink a, what I just decent. said, Manny. <laughs> and so I, you're making I me just, rethink it. I, you know, PJ, you know, PJ said, "Well, they're, you know, they're a dangerous football team." I don't think they're a dangerous football team. I just think that we don't know. We just don't know how good the Gophers are. And right now, we're anticipating them not being very good this year because they're going to be starting a freshman quarterback, and they're still PJ still sort of building, trying to build this program. So my expectations for the Gophers this year are low. So I'm not. I'm not. You got a losing. I'm not. Do you have them maybe convinced. losing this game? I'm not. Listen, I didn't think that. I mean, they were you are lose. right. They went out and lost by one point at USC. Jerry Kill's first game as I the head coach. Watched it. I remember. And then this. the next yeah. week they yeah, got right. beat at home by a terrible New Mexico. What if PJ's State right? Team. What if we're taking them light? What if I just took them too lightly? It's look. Judd, it's the Gophers. We have seen them lose at home to South Dakota. This is Golden Gopher by, football. When coached by Tim Brewster. I mean, they lost Manny, you don't Bowling need to remind me. I watched the Jim Wacker years. Yes. I watched the I Joe know. Salem I years. Too. I think you were in diapers back then. <laughs> I, I had to too. watch it. 
I re- and, and listen, how many times have we seen the Gophers win a game where it's like win a game against a decent opponent? It's like, oh, okay, and then they turn around and they have a clunker. Oh. Remember the gym? Remember the remember the Syracuse game? Yes. In the Jim Wacker years, '96, when yeah, like a just, sophomore Donovan McNabb comes stop. in, that Syracuse team there was, was also decent, a game. There was also a game. There was also a game in the '90s the rest of the year. against like Utah, where the season opener they had a kick blocked and taken back for a touchdown. I don't, don't even want to go there. Thanks, Harrison. <laughs> yeah. You've ruined you've ruined it for me. All That's right, what I'm here for. Roll the boat. Let's do do this. Let's change things slightly. Uh, Kate Mortensen, the president and CEO of the Minneapolis Final Four Local Organization Committee, actually is uh, up on stage here. She will join us next. We will get an update on what's going on with the next major event to come to the Twin Cities at U.S. Bank Stadium. Mackie and Judd is Zolget and Manny Hill at the Great Minnesota Get-Together. This portion of Mackie and Judd is brought to you by Fratelloni's proud sponsor of the Beer Show. Mackie and Judd is actually Zolget and Manny Hill uh, today. Kate Mortensen, president and CEO of the Minneapolis Final Four Local Organizing Committee, joins us now. And as we talked about beforehand, Kate, your business card, it must take the entire business card just for the title. It's a very long title. Uh, on the back, I just put Boss Lady. I like that way more. <laughs> it, so- it, awesome. sounds, it sounds very authoritative and yeah. yet effective. Short and to the point. Boss Lady. I'm here. I'm going to tell you what to do. It's going to be very simple, and we're going to get things done. Uh, okay, so Final Four coming up in April, which to Manny and to me seems like, oh, man, that's a long, long ways away. you got plenty of time. When you are planning an event like this, how close does April feel? April feels very close. I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm half, halfway up a tall mountain and above the tree line. I, can, I have a line of vision to the, to the summit. No, the, every, every week flies by now at this point. The team and I, we look at each other. We can't believe it. The NCAA comes and visits us once a month, spends three days inside our operation, and we blink and they're back again. And we cannot believe another month has passed. So certainly time is passing quicker now, but we're also ready for it. You know, since 2014, we've been waiting, and now it's, a, it's the final fair before the final four, and so it really feels like we're on deck. Do you – have you guys – looked at you know the way the super bowl committee the super bowl planning committee this past year planned for the super bowl being here have you guys sort of looked at them as sort of a not necessarily like a model but just sort of looked at that and say okay certain situations here we can do this and oh that's a nice idea we can try some of that looking forward to this and i think that's a great question because actually maureen bausch who was the ceo of the host committee for final four she's a friend of mine she got her job the same week that I accepted the position for Final Four and we met for a drink and and Maureen who ran Mall of America said oh my gosh I don't have a team you know the budget isn't finished yet I don't have an office space she was saying this isn't the part I'm good at I don't even have pencils yet and then over the next couple of years I got to see and be inspired by what what the Super Bowl host committee was able to do with that geographic rebrand of the North we love it we're borrowing that we're the North in springtime if you will but a Final Four is a very unique event. It's unique and different from any other event. Um, but there certainly is a lot that we, we can look and be inspired by what Super Bowl host committee was able to do. What don't people get about th- this job? Because, you know, we expect the tournament to be here, and we know it's going to bring in lots of people, and, and it's a basketball-centric event. But, like, when you are behind the scenes months in advance trying to plan for, I, I saw concerts and things like that, because... We, we had it at the Dome in 92, which sports-wise is a 1,000 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And in 2001, when it was a big deal, but probably not this, 
What goes into just the behind-the-scenes logistic mm-hmm. logistics of planning something this big now? Mm-hmm. I think the num- one of the biggest things is the last time the event was here is 18 years ago. Yeah. And I, I have an 18-year-old. I know what can happen in 18 years. So the growth and change in the event is extraordinary, and the growth and change in our city and region is extraordinary. So we have this 18-year reintroduction of Minnesota and our region to a Final Four, you know, and likewise. And our hope is to become a Final Final Four partner city every seven to nine years you have to compete but hey there's only about 10 places you can do this event because it happens in a domed stadium right only about five of those domed stadiums are right inside a dynamic downtown so it's a huge opportunity for us and in terms of what's happening in my role 10 months out is we're focused on things like our year-long education program fostering a love of reading we already have 10,000 participants anybody with a third grader or knowing a third grade classroom can sign up log on participate free in that program we already had 150,000 minutes read so all of that is on final four minneapolis.com we also have a 16-foot box truck called the fan jam and the fan jam's been rolling out into community in minneapolis and st paul especially in communities that don't often receive a visit to be the center of final four fun and we've got papa shots and we do prize wheel and sweepstakes so we really take the four-day period of final four and stretch the value out across more like 10 months so that whether or not you love basketball whether or not you have a ticket to the game we establish some brand love for the final four it's not hard to do it's just such an awesome event how many people do you anticipate being a part of planning this and putting this whole thing together over the next uh months until until the final four actually happens yep so um this is definitely a team effort this is not kate mortensen in her closet going mm, i don't know Where boss lady come on no <laughs> yeah. it's you it, it's you and a bunch of other people who happen to be doing something <laughs> so so our key partners um and they're really important partners number one the university of minnesota which has delivered so many championship events for the ncaa that they are really entrusted with this marquee event as the host institution also we have the city of minneapolis if they didn't want it we couldn't do it We have Meet Minneapolis and the Convention and Visitor Bureau, and then we have U.S. Bank Stadium. Because even if we wanted a Final Four, we could not have one without having U.S. Bank Stadium because that is the type of venue that this event takes place in in these days. So it's very careful partnership, and our org chart tends to be very flat, and we rely on these partners to help us do this in a cost-efficient way and in a way we could repeat again in seven years like, like we hope to. Oh, and then... 3,000 volunteers. <laughs> oh, that's it? Just 3,000? Just 3,000. All of whom I, I'm sure are, are under you. Is that correct, that you have to oversee the majority of these people? So so we snapped the, up the very talented, uh, one of the leaders of the Super Bowl host committee's Crew 52. And so now she is helping us put together our Team 19, if you will, okay. if you like that alliteration. Um, and we'll have over 3,000 volunteers. You can sign up at final4minneapolis.com to just show your interest to make sure you don't miss getting a notification when our volunteer program opens in this fall. What's the most um, challenging thing about this entire venture? And if if it's something, is there something that that you didn't even foresee when, when you took this job? But what is the, what's the toughest thing about this, about trying to make this go as smooth as possible? I would say that, um, there is so much opportunity around how you do the four ends 
four days of events really well because the fun kicks off with an entirely free event at U.S. Bank Stadium on Friday, April 5th. Anyone can walk through the door. I mean, I think you need a ticket to have a tour these days, not on Final Four Friday. Anybody can walk into that free event. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, everything that's in there is one part of it. But how do you make more of it? How do you create opportunity, economic opportunity? How do you create legacy program for kids? How do you do it sustainably? So, so the real interesting challenge for me is how much more value we can add around an already very valuable opportunity for the state of Minnesota. And it just absorbs my energy, my creativity, and it's, it's part of it that I really love. I know you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but because when I when I look back at like the Super Bowl thing, I mean there was just there was things everywhere, like all over town. There were things everywhere. Is that kind of the same thing you guys anticipate for this too? It's very similar. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you are if you are downtown on Tuesday before the Final Four, so around April second or third, you're going to start to notice that everybody is very tall and very healthy looking around you, and that's the <laughs> National Association of Basketball Coaches coming into town for their convention. That's not us. And no, <laughs> not us at all. The healthy part. That's not us. <laughs> but over the course of the next few days leading up to Final Four Friday on April 5th, it comes in like a tide, and it is so exciting. It is super diverse. Um, it is very inclusive. There aren't tinted window SUVs where you're wondering, like, who's in there and where are they going? That's I, the Super Bowl. That's That might be another event. I mean, literally. True. <laughs> I mean, let's call a spade a spade. That's the Super Bowl. This is, this is an event where, you know, there's Jim Nance, and he's with his mother. And, oh, my gosh, yeah. Charles Barkley is right there. <laughs> and the legends of basketball, and we're all on Nicollet Mall together, and we're experiencing it and our kids are a part of it yep. and it's not something that's too fancy or too exclusive for anybody to come and be a part of have we solved the light problem at u.s bank stadium where where they had to buy the real expensive shades to make mm -hmm. sure that the light does not pour in mm -hmm. has that problem been solved yes we've we've scheduled a solar eclipse um for the it's going to be a really long one it's going to last four <laughs> days <laughs> it's a basketball <laughs> fan so yeah, yeah. no we do u.s bank stadium has has made um an investment in in a, a darkening protocol that is reusable that they can store that they have uh, for two future events already I, I think it's actually quite an elegant solution not just like drapes and curtains um, so good for them they're going to be able to market the venue sure. for more things and we're the first to use it so people think you know oh it's just for final four but right. over time I think we'll be glad we did not give up that experience of glass for football I love it and we're not taking away any other opportunities um, by having this darkening approach to Kate, th thanks much. Hey, thank you. Much appreciated. Kate Mortensen, President and CEO of the Minneapolis Final Four Local Organizing Committee, joining us. Uh, Mackie and Judd, which is Zolget and Manny, back after this. All right, Mackie and Judd back from uh, the Minnesota State Fair. GL, right around the corner. I want to thank Kate Mortensen again, President and CEO of the Minneapolis Final Four Local Organizing Committee, for joining us. Uh, some good stuff about um, the Final Four, which, as we talked about, to us is like ah, it's next April. That's a long ways away, and I'm sure if you're on the organizing committee, it's like oh my gosh, you it feels like it's next week. It's here, yeah. So I went to the practices in '92 at the Metrodome. So okay. that was Michigan, Duke won. Mm -hmm. um, Cincinnati was in the tournament, and I think Indiana. Indiana, yeah, that sounds about right. And I remember going to those practices, and I, it, the Final Four was a big deal at the time. But <laughs> you know, the Final Four would come into town. And as I recall, for fans, like, the first big thing was open practices. Mm -hmm. Now when, when you talk to Kate, and, I mean, this is the incredible thing about all these events. 
they've become these entire community week-long extravaganzas. They're events within events. You know, you yeah. can walk through the stadium now a, a couple days before the game. You can go to a concert. Downtown is jam-packed with stuff. It's just it's remarkable how these have gone from being about the sporting event and basically a weekend-long thing to being a week-long celebration of the sport, which, by the way, is very cool, mm -hmm. but it's just a world of difference from what it used to be but, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, and then you just look at the, the Final Four itself kind of becomes, it doesn't become secondary. It's still the primary focus of the entire week leading up to it. But it just becomes sort of the, it, it becomes the, the cherry on top of this huge Sunday of all sorts of different things and fun events and people getting together and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's great. And, and the fact that we're seeing more of these happen in this town now. I mean, because it used to be, I mean, we talked about it. The last Final Four was 2001. Yeah, Duke. And then it was, you know, right. a decade before that. Mm -hmm. And the last Super Bowl we had here was 92. Yeah, you know, and that was. century. I mean, yes. The, and the fact that we're starting to get all of these things again around, and it helps that we've had facilities that have been upgraded and well, we've improved got, upon. And we've gone from being the state and the towns that wouldn't build you a stadium to... Now hey, we have everything. Do you want one? Yeah. Hey, Saints, you want one? United, <laughs> we'll build you a soccer-specific office yeah. Snelling. Twins, yeah, we got you. We got the Congregate game coming next year at, uh, at yeah, Allianz Field. Yeah. I remember thinking to myself that when we got the X, it was an act of God. When Norm got the X, mm -hmm. because they had brought... This is a true story. They had brought, I want to say, the Hartford Whalers or Oilers who were playing us uh, were looking at moving. The, the Whalers were going to move. The Oilers were trying to, to get a new arena in Edmonton, which they eventually did. Mm -hmm. But I want to say they brought the Whalers people here and Bettman to the Civic Center. And they walked him through the Civic Center, and he's like, "You're he's not. Like, you've no got, way. You've got no chance of getting yeah. in any. I don't care how much you people love hockey. Have you looked at this building lately?" <laughs> and so when the X finally got built or was going up, I thought, "This is this is the. You know, in '97, the Twins invented an area that they were going to move to, the Triad." In Carolina. Yeah. Like, no one even knows what that really was. <laughs> and the twins were going to move. That They were inventing areas. And that was because, like Greensboro. Yeah. Because nobody would else, yeah. nobody in this town would build you anything. Yeah. And so now, you're right. You've got soccer stadium, minor league baseball, which is, by the way, a gorgeous stadium, mm -hmm. which deserves a Class A team. Yes. Uh, you've got Target Field, which is gorgeous. U.S. Bank is, it's very nice. I mean, football stadiums are, un unless they're... Lambo or something, but it's still very, very, very nice. Mm -hmm. Target Center's Target redone. Upgraded, yep. Now I would have, I think I could have made a pretty good case that I think I would have demolished her and started again started all over. But nonetheless, it's a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just, and it's funny when you go back to '92 with the, the Final Four at the Metrodome, or like you said, the Super Bowl during that era, and what that was. And it was basically everyone comes in a few days before the game, you play the game, it's a big deal, and then. But there was never the cool thing now. The Metrodome was used for everything back then. Yes, that's the other. Oh, you had everything yeah. at one place. And the cool thing now is, even if, as Kate said, even if you're not a huge fan of the sport, you can actually partake in the festivities, yeah. like the concerts and, and things. Which there was a time where that was an impossibility. But yeah, the the poor Metrodome. Oh but, my god! But <laughs> you know what? You know what? 
In many ways, I hated that place because it robbed me of a childhood of outdoor baseball. I mean, the, yeah. the Twins' last season at Met Stadium was 81, and they moved into Target Field in 2010. Yep. When I bullet, so I, I was, they were indoors from the time I was 11 to 40. My prime kid 20 drinking years were yeah. spent in the Metrodome or trying to go to Chicago. Um, but the Metrodome, to its credit, proved incredibly serviceable for a lot of big games. I honestly don't know how it survived as long as it did, considering that it was used for just about everything. What you was had two the last World Series big there. event? You had two Final Fours there. The Final Four? The last big event. The last, the last big event that, that didn't happen to fall. The, be, the last like national under a Vikings or a Twins game. Yeah, it was the final probably, four. Probably the final four. Because they said we're done then, right? The NCAA, I think, said see you later. Well, we're there not was going an back here. there was an elite eight there. Okay. Because remember, because oh, yeah, right. that's why that's how Kevin McHale fell in love with Randy Foy because Villanova was playing okay. Florida, Joakim Noah in Florida in the elite eight that year at the Metrodome. Okay. Yeah. But. Yeah, that place. But that was that might have been the last one when the Elite Eight was there, and that, that would have been 2006, maybe. Now the one thing that changed too is there. There was a time, certainly in the Metrodome years, where the NCAA's requirement was that if you were going to have a Final Four, I think you had a regional the year before, and that was, I think, the requirement. I think if you, okay. were, I think there was a long period of time where if you were going to host a Final Four, they basically did a dry run regional at your stadium the year before. And clearly they they took that out because now U.S. Bank is going to have, what, a golfer basketball game and some type of basketball doubleheader or something mm-hmm. during the course of this season. And that's going to be kind of the dry run type but of. But that's going to be it, sure. yeah. Yeah, because they, they had, I want to say that was a long time. And, in fact, the first regional at the Metrodome, Manny, was, I was at Benilde at the time. So I was 17, I think. and And that was, I want to say... That was the that might have been the one year that they had the court set up on the third baseline, and I think they switched it after that. Okay. So they they were like experimenting with where to put the floor and all that. Because I never I actually never attended a basketball game at the Metrodome ever. I never went to a really? Wolves game when I was a little kid. I was there opening night. I was too young to go to Wolves games at that time. The Bulls one year, but the Bulls, the Wolves home opener here against Jordan and the Bulls. Uh, the girlfriend, now the wife, Dawn and I got tickets, and I kid you not, right field, upper deck. You couldn't see anything. <laughs> Michael Michael looked like he might have been an ant. But I was there, and this was still when I thought, oh, man, it's just cool to be here. But I'm not joking, right field, upper deck. I actually that season also saw saw a bunch of games. I saw Shaq and the Magic. I think that was Shaq's first season, perhaps. Okay. Early in Shaq's career. The year that the Wolves should have won the lottery and gotten Shaq. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- this is a couple of years after their, their first year, and I was in left field upper deck for that one. And why on earth I went to NBA basketball games and sat in the upper deck at the Metrodome? No, that had to be the first year. So it might not have been Shaquille because they went from they yeah, played well, they only 89 played the, 90 there. Yeah. Yeah. Set the attendance Center record and moved out. Yeah. So it might not have been uh, Shaq, but it was definitely it was probably, Orlando. It was probably Michael. But it was. Uh, but I was so. You were so far up. But it was just cool. I think I had good seats in the Metrodome for a Wolves game in eighty nine ninety, maybe twice, mm. because they did put seats in the infield. Yeah, which were pretty good, and I think we had those maybe twice. But the rest of it, you were sitting all over the regional. The regional the year that uh, Wake Forest was still good and came here, probably early 2000s, 
I also I bought the package of tickets and was in the second day. That have been would Josh Howard have been at Wake Forest then? Maybe? That's very possible. Yes. Okay. Because those were always fun. Because yeah. ba- and the basketball is fantastic, or was at, at the time. But um, I just remember sitting in those seats. I'm like, I really can't see anything. Well, that reminds me of the story Royce always tells when uh, Mark McGuire hit the big he- home run off of Frankie Rodriguez oh, yeah. in the Metrodome, Sun- and, Cur- and yeah. Kirby was out was way out there at the yep. top and. Kirby was like yelling out, "Frankie, you look like an ant," or something like that. Royce tells the story better, but yeah, that's what that made me think of that. I remember that. <laughs> I think that was a Sunday night game. Yes, it was. And McGuire hit that yes. thing, and, and John and John Miller said, "Look out in the Mississippi." When McGuire oh, he was right it. about that. Oh yeah, that thing was a complete. <laughs> look bomb. out in the Mississippi. That thing, in fact, one of the great one one of the greatest uh, baseball injustices about the Metrodome was however they measured home runs back then for a long period of time. I believe the longest home run that is recorded officially, I think it's still, or was still, Ben Ogilvy, who was a masher for the Brewers. Mm-hmm. He hit a home run into the upper deck in right field. But there is no way, there is, Manny, I swear to you, there is no way that that was the longest home run hit there. And I don't think the I don't think they gave McGuire if I'm if I'm correct here I don't think they gave him credit for exceeding that that McGuire home run because it it went to the back row of the lower deck yeah but that's but that's 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 a mile yeah that, like that's that's twenty miles away yeah basically. that's that's theoretically if you were to take that to Target Field that is somewhere into the third deck now is my guess I gotta think Tommy has probably like. Three or four of the top ten longest home runs hit in Metrodome history, right? Because he hit so many there. Yeah, probably. I mean, probably. He, hit, he hit four or five of them off Rick Reed in one season at the Metrodome. Yeah, I think. yeah. Gargantuan shots. Tommy hit a bunch. Herbeck hit some as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Herbie definitely hit. A, I think hit the Ogilvy. I think the problem was that was fairly early in the Metrodome's existence, and I think the issue was they just screwed up the measurement. And they mm-hmm. gave it to him, and I don't think they ever really went back and changed it. Home run distances now, I they've got it. I don't not know per- how they. It's not perfect, it. but I think they've got a much better idea now. Yeah. Back then, I think they just said that was. <laughs> hit a long was way. A, and and it went about 520 feet. Somebody has <laughs> told me since then that uh, Tommy, the Twins PR director for years and years and years, had some type of chart as well that basically the chart was supposed to tell you. So, like, you'd see the home run, look at the chart, and then go, and okay, see, I like, think, what yeah. seed it landed yeah. in and be able yeah, to Yeah, I think this way. is close enough. So, <laughs> all right, let's uh, take a break, come back, and uh, wrap things up. Mackie and Judd right now is Zolgad and Manny Hill. We're at the great Minnesota get-together. Do you want exclusive access to U.S. Bank Stadium? Then purchase your tickets now for CCFA's Touch of Flag Football Tournament on September 8th. Flag football teams will take over the field in a six-on-six tournament to raise money for the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. The day also includes exclusive stadium tours, memorabilia auction, 1500 ESPN Fan Zone, and more. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Matthew and Judd back from uh, the State Fair. GL coming up at 1 o'clock. Actually, uh, the last two hours, it's been Zolgad and Manny Hill, who, of course, produces the ride with Royce, and we'll be back on that show today. Jonathan Harrison doing an outstanding job, as always, back in studio producing things. I want to get back to the Wolves for a second, sir. I want to read you a note from um, page two of today's Star Tribune. Jerry Zagoda out here. Looks like he talked to Tibbs, as did Patrick, as did a bunch of outlets yesterday at the fair. Uh, this is the second-to-last note. Thibodeau said he's, he's, quote, very optimistic the Wolves will sign Carl Anthony Towns to a contract extension before the regular season starts. 
They have until October's end to sign him to an extension that could be worth, I'll speak slowly here, $187 million. Mm-hmm. If they don't sign him by then, he'll become a restricted free agent this summer. Um, okay. For that to even have to be thrown out there, and for the head coach slash chief executive to have to say that he is, quote, very optimistic, I want to slow down for a second and digest that. Okay. Because, Manny, we're talking about a situation here where no player who's been in the situation that Cat is in right now has ever not signed this contract. And ordinarily, this isn't a negotiation. This is a, a you're get you are getting. This is the money he's yes, getting. Yes, yes. which he is can't get any more, and which I will mean, change. They're your, not going to try and pay him any less. Which so. will change your life. Will change the life of your family. Will change the life of your grandkids. This is the simplest thing in the history of basketball to sign. So for this to even be a note in the Star Tribune, and and it's worthy of being one, to me is an indicator, uh, to go back to what what we discussed in the 11 o'clock hour, of where things stand. Like, this should be a non-issue. This contract should be signed. And nobody knows exactly why Cat's not signing it. But the fact he's not signing it is a loud and clear message of some sort that somebody should pay a lot of attention to. Yes, and that conversations, like I've been saying for weeks, that some sort of a conversation needs to be had, and Kat's kind of alluded to that himself, that we need to talk about some things and work out some things. And, and look, I have maintained this forever, and I will continue to do so, whether Tom Thibodeau or Jimmy Butler or anybody else agrees with me or not. Mm-hmm. Carl Anthony Towns is the most important piece of this puzzle. And whatever you have to do to make him happy, you have to do. Now, within reason, you don't want to just do anything. But your your job and your primary focus right now is to make sure that he's happy. This is If you lose him, I don't care if you got Jimmy Butler or Andrew Wiggins or Jeff Teague or anybody else. You lose Towns, you're not, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to go anywhere. You need him to be at the forefront of everything that you're doing going forward. He is the most important piece of your roster, and you've got to get him signed and get him locked up. Whatever conversation that you need to have with him, have it and get the deal done. Now, I think the national perception is a little bit more that Butler might be the most important player, but I'm with you. It's Cat. Yes. Cat's your future. Yes. Jimmy Butler, listen, if Jimmy Butler continues to max out his talent into this coming season. Jimmy Butler, with the way he plays, is going to be broken down in about three years. I have reservations about signing Butler to a long-term contract. And, and with Jimmy, too, you have to look back. I have to look back at the numbers. I think Jimmy has only played. He's been in the league for seven years I think years it's now. once. One time he's played more than 70 games a yes. season. And, One time. And here's, here's the rub to that. It's, and I love him. It's not a criticism of him. It's his style of it's, play. It's just, it is what it is. And, yes. and it's a credit to him that he works so hard. And it's a credit to Jimmy Butler that he plays so hard. But this all goes back to what you just said. If you're looking at the health of the Timberwolves franchise, if you're looking at this franchise finally turning a significant corner for the long term, so not just making the playoffs, oh, that, that was great, and then regressing. If you're talking Two about... Two times he's played more than seven. Yeah. So if you're, talking, if you're talking about turning a significant corner in this franchise going in the right direction for the long term... There's no argument here. Carl yeah. Anthony Towns is your most important player. And right now, if Jimmy Butler can come in and help set the foundation, that's fantastic. That's why you traded for him. That's what you want. And I'm looking around at other teams like, you know, I look at Phoenix. Now, Phoenix is 
you know, they're a bad team. They've been bad for a few years now, and they, you know, and they just have the number one pick. And but they got they got Devin Booker locked up. There was no hesitation. And, and do you know how, on that. how quick he signed that contract? It was two very seconds. quickly. Two, two, seconds. two seconds. There was no there was no discussion on it, and he got the same he got the same contract Wiggins got. Yeah, it's an it's, it's the same amount of money. I was going to say it's an, and Carl Anthony and I like the, Devin Booker, but Carl right. Anthony Towns and Devin like it's not even close. It's not right. even a conversation who the better player is. So is there? So I, I guess the question becomes this: Is there a level of not necessarily panic, but is there a level of concern at Target Center about all of these things? Because I still think Cat's going to sign that contract. Yeah. But you, you don't want to put him in a position of, as a kid, which he still pretty much is, him feeling like he needs to send you a message. Right. Like, we shouldn't be at that point. That's not where this should be. And, and, and you, don't want, you don't want to sign him to that new contract, and then he gets a year into it, and he's already grumpy and crabby and well, requesting and then becomes, a trade, and then now everything is toxic. Right. And you, yes, exactly right. You don't want to put this, and, and now I get the fact that David Kahn screwed everything up, and, and that included the love situation, but you don't want to turn this into that as well, right. which is superstar players like, I can't wait to get out of here because I don't like playing for this coach, or I don't like playing for this front office and then the next thing or you whatever know, it is and then the next thing you know if somebody if somebody else comes in is making front office decisions i'm not you know forecasting anything but somebody else comes in makes makes decisions drastic decisions like what flip kind of had to do when he took over for david Kahn to try and keep kevin love happy right giving peck the new deal going out spending money on kevin martin and that's not how you want to do business. and you put a cap on how your team is going to progress and get better over the course of x amount of years so they they just need to you know sit down and and talk like adults and get this done and you know play some. Basketball you know what I want to have, half. Manny Hill. You know what I want to return? A really good hardcore segment about Andrew Wiggins. That's what I want back. I want to be up here talking about Andrew Wiggins oh, and does gosh. he finally has is the light bulb going to go off and is he going to get it? And how he frustrates us all. I want that because yeah. kind of, at least if we have that conversation, then the things that should be in place are back in place. Is it yeah, Sunday? I mean, it's at at some point, you know, it just it's he's four years into it, and you just gotta start thinking that he is who he is. But I don't know. I mean, we had those same questions about DeMar no, but DeRozan those conversations. Time. But those conversations. That's what I want to be back to. I know. Yeah. You guys, but he, it's up to him to get to that point, though. You guys had me thinking it was Sunday again. Sundays from ten to noon. <laughs> well, he's probably listening right now, saying, "Oh, they're probably many each other, both crazy." Oh no, no, no! He, I, I bet he loves it. I often get texts saying, "You're on the right path here." I ran Keep into, going down. It. I ran into Corzo a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday, and he he, he just broke the, it. It went right into Wiggins. I said, "Hey, Corzo, how you he's doing?" He's so invested, Andrew Wiggins. I'm going to tell you something, man. He's like, so invested. He's, oh gosh, Corzo is so invested in Wiggins and Tips. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's All right, we are uh, done. Back tomorrow at nine. Garage Logic up next. Stay dry, everybody, or at least try.